Yeah, so we're going to talk about um, it, basically introduce ourselves and talk about what it means to us to be an EDH spike. We talked about it a little bit on our last episode about, you know, we want to be spikes, we want to, you know, we want to win, but what does that mean to each one of us? Because it can have different definitions. So, Jake, you want to start with that? Yeah, so um, I'm pretty big into constructed, but I, in like constructed standard and uh, all the other PTQ formats. But when it comes to EDH, I do like to uh, have a little bit of fun. So I'm not full on spike. There are a few things I will not do. I will not play prison style decks because even if you do win, I, I just don't have any fun playing that deck, even winning. But when it comes to EDH, I like to have a little bit of fun. At the same time, I want to be competitive. So when it comes to spiking it out, I will definitely include infinite turns, um, stuff like that. Um, one of the things I think about being a spike in EDH is you don't play uh, group huggish cards. I think that if you're playing these too many political cards, you're letting things go a little bit too randomly throughout the game. What do you think about that? I certainly agree with that. I mean, you're with the group hug decks, those never really work out anyway because the people that have the good decks are getting the advantage and people are getting ticked off at you because you're giving them more cards or more mana or whatever, and that's just really not going to help anybody. Yeah, like the card Minds Glow, just totally, I don't like that card at all and like EDH at all. You know, like making everybody draw whatever they want to, it's just silly for me. Yeah, I think most of the... Join Forces cards are pretty bad, like Mines of Glow and the Ramp one are both pretty bad. The Milling one obviously can be a lot better since you're probably abusing that. I think on the subject of Group Hug in general, though, I think just playing the straight-up Theodogriff Group Hug is pretty bad. Um, I think Neil, though, has had some success with sort of tweaked Group Hug with a dagger, which we might be able to have him on uh, sometime. I know with the time zones, it's a little bit difficult to do. But if we could get him on to explain that, it sounds like he does actually have quite a bit of success with it in competitive metagame, so there might be something to it. But I think just your sort of general group hug is not really what you want to be playing. Yeah, I think as a spike, my job is to be as political as I can, but I'm not playing political cards that give my opponents power because I just can't control my opponent's actions. I mean, you'd like to be able to um, work your way through things politically with your opponents, but sometimes they just go crazy and they'll stab you in the back for no reason. I mean, yeah. so to me, there's a difference between group hug cards and political cards. Like, the Joint Forces cards are all just terrible, even the milling one, because no one's going to pay for that if you're the one playing it. Uh, yeah. But there's a difference between those cards and things that are symmetrical that you can break the symmetry of. Yeah. Those I have absolutely no problem playing. Like, I know I've played decks with Rites of Flourishing and Howling Mine and things like that, and they're absolutely stupid because I'm better at taking advantage of the extra cards. Yeah. Like, are you able? To, the point is, are you able, are you able to take uh, better advantage of it than all three of your components combined? And sometimes you will be, but uh, that's just something to t- think about. There. Well, it, it's not just that; it's the fact that with cards like Howling Mine, there's always something that could be a little better for maybe one or two more mana. So you're talking about difference between Howling Mine and Phyrexian Arena in that instance. And I'd just rather be playing Phyrexian Arena and getting my own cards rather than someone killing me with the extra stuff they got off Howling Mine. So that kind of bothers me a bit. Well, you're also talking about, like, color restrictions. Like, Mono Green doesn't have a Phyrexian Arena. You have, like, Sylvan Library, and that's kind of it. Mm-hmm. Sylvan yeah. Library is pretty good, though. <laughs> yes, it yeah. is. It's absurd. <laughs> I'm not complaining about Sylvan Library, but you don't have many options besides that. Yeah. So when it comes to finish up my spike ideas, uh, I really love Blue and EDH, um, although it's not necessary. Blue is very fantastic. So uh, that's one of my uh, key, f- my favorite colors in EDH. And uh, I think that's it. Uh, Carlos, do you have anything else to add or different than Jake? Uh, To me, being a spike in EDH is more about how you're playing the game than how you're building your deck. Um, To me, it means that once I'm playing, I'm going to do whatever I can to try to win the game. Uh, It means that during deck building, I'm going to try to build, build things that do powerful things, that do consistent things but I'm not necessarily going to make the deck optimal because I still want to be able to enjoy it. If I'm playing something purely to win the game or whatever, I'm going to play Legacy mostly. But Commander is a format where I can try to do... It's an inherently broken format. Like, mm-hmm. if you want to do something stupid, you can play the Hermit Druid combo deck and win on, like, turn four every single game or whatever. Um, but really, the point is to do things that you find enjoyable. So I'm going to do powerful things that I enjoy doing, but... I also do want to play the game. 
once I sit, once I sit down, I'm going to do whatever it takes, but I am going to put restrictions on myself during deck building to make sure that it's, it's the kind of magic I want to be playing when I'm not competing. Now, I got a question for sure. you. I haven't get this, I don't get to see much of good players play EDH. Most of the players are player subpar or just par. Uh, how consistent is that Hermit Druid deck? Does it not just roll over to a removal? I don't, I don't see how it could be that consistent. Uh, it does just roll over to some spot removal sometimes, but, uh, you can build it to be like half a turn to a turn slower and have spell pierce dispel uh mental misstep backup and then it takes multiple pieces of disruption to beat you. Like Yeah, that makes I, sense. I have I have a build of it put together that I've probably played like fifty games with over the like two years that I've had it together. Because I only break it out when people tell me that Hermit Druid isn't broken. And the only time that I've lost is when I had a turn two Hermit Druid and there were Two spot removal spells and a Bojugabog. Hmm. Wow. So that's fantastic. So I guess that begs yeah. the question, what won't you guys play in ADH? What, what's too broken? I mean, it depends on well, the context of the play group, right? Yeah. Like, there's some groups yeah. where, like, you can play whatever you want and it's fine because everyone's playing stuff like that. So I have a variety of things built from, like, the super casual Kemba equipment deck to the I'm going to lock you out of the game as quickly as possible, and I'm the only one who's playing Child of Alara deck. Yeah, I think a lot of it depends on play group. Like, for my play group, for example, it's, um, a lot of the players tend to be a lot more casual, so I have my own Riku deck that's a lot, sort of less, um, tricked out than the one we're making. It, you know, has a lot of the, like, reiterate wild ricochet effects that I play, and I still, um, it's sort of like what, uh, Carlos was saying, being a spike in EDH is, it, a lot of it can be deck construction, but a lot of it's also just play style and sort of trying to maximize everything you can while you're playing. And, you know, I still do very well with it just because everyone else is playing a lot of, well, most of them are playing pretty bad decks. And it's not like you have to be playing these uh, Hermit Druid or, like, Teferi Knowledge Pool locks or anything to be an EDH spike. Yeah. Um, I was actually thinking back to uh, when I used to play mostly on MTGO. Re- recently, with the resurgence of Commander uh, decks, there's been more Commander play at my local game store. But before that, on MTGO, when I first started, I built the most tame decks ever. They were just card advantage engines like Teneb and Disturb Barrel, bringing back creatures and doing all this stuff. And I'd always hate when I'd run into people who run like Armageddon or something. they just try to end games or infinite combos that would end games quickly. And then after a while of running into them, I, I decided I'd just change to build the best deck I could, with a few exceptions. Like, not, I wouldn't play Prison, because I hate Prison decks. But at the same time, just build my, the strongest deck I could to deal with anybody on MTGO. So, and it's worked out a lot better for me. My whole point is, play the strongest deck you can. And uh, when, when everybody's playing at a high level, things get really fun. Yeah. Okay. So... Kind of, kind of moving on. Give a little bit of background about yourselves. Uh, I, I, I can, I can pretty much start. You know, I, my name is Matt. I've been playing Magic for, you know, three, four years total. Uh, I started when I was 15 years old. Quit for, you know, 10, 15 years, and then came back a little bit two years ago. Um, played competitively. Played in a couple GPs, uh, top 64 to GP last year, uh, things like that. But I, I really like the competitive aspect, which makes me, you know, kind of an EDH spike in the fact that I do want to win each game. And that's kind of what I'm looking for. So, Andrew, you want to continue? Sure. Um, I suppose I have about the same amount of play experience. Uh, played back when I was like 12 or so for two, two or three years, then quit. Came back about a year and a half ago. Uh, ever since I've mainly been playing, I guess I'd classify, classify myself as sort of casual competitive. Um, I, you know, play a lot of uh, drafts on Moto, aim, uh, aim to win them. Uh, I'm fairly spiky overall, but I don't really put in the hours of testing or anything that to or preparation to really compete in like a GP or PTQ or anything. And aside from that, again, a lot of um, EDH that I play fairly competitively. Okay, okay Carlos. Uh, so I've been playing Magic for about eight or nine years um, since I was twelve or thirteen. Um, I've never really played too much tournament magic besides, like, limited. I play a ton of Legacy when there are tournaments like that, but it's not a huge format around here. Um, I do a ton of cubing and a ton of EDH. Uh, I've been doing Commander Cast for a while, uh, for anyone who listens to that, and I've recently started writing for Quiet Speculation about uh, deck construction for the format. 
Okay, and um, I'm Jake. I'm actually, I guess, the newborn of the Magic group here. I started in uh, Planet Chaos, so I don't even know how old I was then, but uh started in Planet Chaos. It was pretty funny. Everybody's like, damnation, it's the new Wrath of God. I'm like, what's Wrath of God? <laughs> so uh, I'm pretty new, but I, I, I have always been, I started off playing card games before that, so I jumped in pretty quickly. Um, I'm pretty spiky when it comes to these things. I like to grind MTGO. I usually hit the mocks. I, I qualify the mocks almost every go around. Uh, like I don't get to play in them often because of work, but I usually qualify for them. I can I can do I can take my way in the daily. So I'm good. I'm looking to get better. I've only been to one GP ever. I missed day two by a draw. So um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I've been to like less than ten PTQs in real life, but uh. I only top eight of one though, so I'm trying to get better. I'm always looking to be more spiky in my uh, competitive arenas. So yeah, I also took a break during a shards block, so I even missed that year too. Okay. Um. So I guess the next topic I have is you know there's there's certain when you're building a deck and you're building a deck in certain colors there's there's quote unquote mess, must play cards in each color um, whether you're talking about Sol Ring or Mana Krypton artifacts or uh, Eternal Witness in green and and kind of want to go over those maybe one color per cast but let's I guess just start with artifacts in this cast what artifacts are you always looking at to play in not every deck because I know there's exceptions yeah. but nearly yeah. every deck. 99% of the decks. You yeah, play. what are, you know, a couple cards that you, you know, you absolutely have to play? Obviously, Sol Ring and Mana Crypt, I kind of spoiled those, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My, my trio, first of all, is Sol Ring, Mana Crypt, and, uh, uh, Sensei's Divining Top. Those are the first three I try to include in every deck if I can fit them in. Yeah, they're sort of the classic base of your Trinket Mage package. And of course, I only have Mana Crypt online because I don't have, my paper collection, my paper collection is pretty dismal. Compared to my online collection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and obviously in this case I'm talking if money's no object. And yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess I'm a little bit different. The only two artifacts that I run in just about every deck are Crucible of Worlds and Sensei's Divining Top. Mm-hmm. Uh, hmm. I don't play Soul Ring or Mana Crypt in my Child of Alar deck because they're not lands and it does care about lands a lot. Yeah. And I play yeah. Crucible in everything because I don't like anything more than playing as many lands as possible. That's a good point. I have Crucible in all my decks now, too, that I realize <laughs> I just got it online. So, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty yeah. much all my decks. And but I can, I can definitely see Soul Ring and Mana Crypt being in pretty much everything else. Like, I'm pretty sure I found the corner case where they're not optimal. Sure. And let, yeah. let's talk about Crucible I, for a minute, just because it's one of those corner cases that, or one of those cards that people don't realize how good it is before you actually start playing it. It's just the most insane source of card advantage. If, as long as you have a fetch land or a Terramorphic Expanse in your graveyard, you're just getting... You, you get a land from your library every turn for free. It's yeah. just insane. Like, with it, it becomes very worthwhile to run four fetch lands, even in the monocolored deck, just because you can fetch out, constantly fetch out lands. It's basically like a better Thon Glaciers. And the great thing is that the... Um, the Fetchlands also work with your Sensei's Divining Top that you're usually auto-including as well. Yeah. Right, and that that's not counting... Like, those are things that you can do that aren't really building around it. They're mm-hmm. just... They're incidental things. You can also, like, Dryad Arbor plus Skull Clamp becomes stupid. Um, Strip Mine. Land, Dust Bowl, things like yeah. that. Like, it's one of those things that starts subtly warping your deck so that it doesn't really affect your deck when you don't draw it, but when you do, suddenly your deck just kind of... Starts grinding out advantage, getting one or two cards every single turn. Yep. Yeah. Also, in a um, if your metagame play is mass land destruction, a problem that a lot of uh, land ramp land ramp decks have is that they'll ramp out all the lands from their uh, deck, and then once an Armageddon or whatever gets cast, they just have nothing left to recover with. But then Crucible of Worlds helps you get. Uh, you know, you can play your lands out again. Obviously, you can't explosive vegetation for them, but if you've got Azusa as your general, you'll still have access to them. Yep. Okay, what about some cards that might not go in every deck, and how often do you include them? Uh, stuff like Mana Vault, like Skull Clamp, like Grim Monolith. Uh, how, what percentage of the time do you see those going in your decks? Skull Clamp is very specific to the deck. You need it in the token deck as far as I'm concerned, or like a deck with a ton of X1s, so... 
That's it either needs to be in a deck with a lot of X1s or a way to find it consistently. Uh, if you yeah. can't do at least one of those things, then I don't think it's worth it most of the time. Yeah, I don't think so either. Well, what do you mean, like, because I could find it consistently like a white equipment deck, but I'm not sure if I'd really want it in a white equipment deck, you know? Well, like, in, in a white equipment deck, I would seriously consider it because white doesn't have a ton of ways to draw cards. Mm-hmm. So even if it's just, like, invest two mana equipment to something, when it dies, draw two cards, it might be worth it, depending on, like, what the build of the deck is and what other advantage engines you have in there. Hmm. Um, yeah. Like, in a, in a blue deck that has Trinket Mage, I might run it to go get Skull Clamp, but... Blue has so many better things to do that it's it's very unlikely, unless I'm particularly building to be creature-based. Yeah. And in a white equipment deck, it still just helps you recover from Rouse. Like, a lot of the problem with white equipment decks is that if you just run out of creatures, you have nothing to stick your equipment on, and it, it can help you with that. I just like to get a lot of advantage out of it, because it tends to get destroyed fairly quickly. And if it's not in a token deck, you're usually not going to get much uh, use out of it, I think. Well, I... I think that, you know, in your uh, deck that's just making a billion 1-1 tokens, it's going to get destroyed almost immediately because it's such a huge threat. But in just a white equipment deck, you probably have a number of other equipments that are quite threatening, and you can't abuse it as much, so it's not always such an auto-destroy. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's interesting about the card, too, when I've played it is, you know, you put it on a bad flyer, you put it on a bad ground creature, and they, and people, is it's almost kind of like a propaganda. People don't attack you because of it, because they don't want to give you the two cards for killing your crap creature either. So that's kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, what about something... the mana... Go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I was just changing the subject. What about the mana rampers, like Grim Monolith, Basalt Monolith, uh, Mana Vault? How often are you including those, if at all? Well, uh, for me personally, um, there's st- I'm still building up my moto collection. I don't actually have those online, and the reason why I've strayed away from getting them quickly is because they're one they're kind of one shot artifacts. They're not totally one shot as, but the effect that they don't continuously grant a mana advantage. You know, you have to reset yeah. back to their normal states. That's put me off on them, and I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying as far as I've gone, I'm holding off on them for now because it's not my style of play. Uh, to, to me, you need to make sure you're going to get that card back, because you can't guarantee that you're going to use it. So, like, if you're using it to power out a Goto that's going to tutor up an artifact and get you your card back, it's it, it's probably worth it. If you're using it to power out an Azami that's going to get you your card back, it's probably worth it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you need to make sure you can recoup. You, either the acceleration is going to win you the game before the card matters, or you're going to get the card back. Um, is there a way to add Neil? I don't even know. Neil, you yeah, there? Yeah, I thought last time we had somebody. I don't think Neil can talk. I think he's at work since it's uh, like 8 a.m. there or something. Okay, so Neil is listening in, people, and he's saying... It's Monday morning for Neil, so feel sorry for him. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, so what about uh, Mox Opal? Mox Opal... If you're running enough artifacts, then it's yeah. like the nuts. If you're running but enough cheap artifacts, it's good. I mean, if you're yeah. running, you know, Crystal Worlds on up, then it's still pretty bad. I'm like, if you're on, the only cheap artifacts you're running are maybe Clamp, maybe Sol Ring, and maybe Mana Crypt, it's just not good enough. Yeah, like, yeah. what Neil's saying is, like, if you're running Mana Crypt, Grim Monolith, Basal Monolith, Voltaic Key, if you're running the fast mana art- artifacts, then it's probably <laughs> worth it because you have such a high density of artifact ramp spells that are cheap. Mm-hmm. But yeah. if you're running all of those, aren't you very susceptible to the mass removal spells that are just going to crush you with three lands on board? And should you be right. doing that anyway? Right, but if you're playing them, you're trying to win before that happens. True. Yeah. So I don't see it being terribly relevant. Yeah. Okay. Or at least put yourself in a position that you no longer need them if it's just, I don't know, like powering out a Jin, Jin Gitaxius or something. Or an Araya. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But he's he's not is he's not been as a general right now is he? No. Ryo, no. No, yeah. No. I haven't actually seen him in a while. I've, it's been a while. Right? I've never really seen him. I mean, everybody's afraid of him. So no one plays him, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess next, uh, let's talk a little bit about the lands. Uh, you know, certainly well, a little more flexible. Go ahead. I think there are still a couple artifacts we didn't hit. What about uh, Lightning Greaves and Solemn Simulacrum? Sure. I definitely like Lightning Greaves and Solemn Simulacrum in any deck that's 
really going to plan to get into the mid game to late game. I mean, Psalm Solomon gives you so much gas going upwards, yeah. and so and uh, Lightning Greaves is just so effective on your general usually if you're yeah. depending on your general. I think yeah, like, Lightning and- Greaves is really really good if you're building around your general, and um, there there are certainly decks that don't want it because they don't care terribly much. Like an Azusa deck probably doesn't need it very much. Yeah, since she has um, semi haste already, and you really have counter spells to back her up. Right, but they're they're yeah. definitely a lot of competitive decks want lightning greaves because they're built around the most consistent part of your deck, and that is the general. Mm-hmm. And the, so, as Neil was saying, the new greaves looks pretty hot. The um, swift trail boots or something like that. Swift foot boots. I I think you know that's just as effective. I don't think the one mana is going to affect too much of the game. So yeah. I mean, it's a little bit of a drawback, really. but it gives you that benefit it, of hexproof too. It does get a little bit worse if you are trying to use them as a, uh, if you actually care about the haste. Um, like hasting a primeval titan is obviously a big deal, but then making that cost seven isn't quite as good. Mm-hmm. But I still think that ninety percent of the time they're going to be just as good, if uh, if not better than lightning greaves. Definitely. Yeah. Something that I've had a lot of success with is uh, Nim Death Mantle, which mm-hmm. surprises a lot of people, but it's one of the best uh, grindy card advantage engines that's still legal. Matthew was just talking about this yesterday. Yes, I was. And the thing about it is, I, it is really good in certain decks, but the problem is, is I see it in a bunch of, you know, what is a shell of a great deck, and then they throw in Nim Death Mantle because they think it's going to be good, and then they're saving four mana for what ends up to be nothing, and they, they just stall because of it. Yeah. It, it just seems like right. the right deck is fine, to... and Sacrifice Outlets is fine. Go ahead. You need to make sure that you can kill your own things consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like yes. if you're running high market Diamond Valley things like that, then it's probably then it's the next best thing to recurring in there, and that's banned. And the, actually, the best thing with it is uh, Ashnod's Altar, which is pretty insane. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, if you're not building around it, then it's definitely mediocre at best. I mean, it's kind of Vasion, and it's kind of good for Voltron decks, but you could probably be doing something better. But if you can kill your own things and you have utility guys, it's kind of absurd in the late game. Most of them. And also, you know, if you have a lot of mana to play around with, I mean, if you're building the decks with a bunch of mana reflection effects and stuff like that, it's certainly good to have around when you can just keep one or two mana untapped and just yeah, have Yeah, it's, it's definitely not for everything. It's definitely yeah. not for everything, but it is a really good engine for the really grindy control decks that don't don't just combo out after a couple turns. Yeah. Speaking of uh, grindy control decks, what do you think about mim- Mimic Fat? I, I know have that such that a love relationship with that card. Sometimes it's absolutely amazing when I get a Solemn Macroloma or something nice under it, or else you know it just sits out there because everybody's yeah. playing around it and it's just awful. Yep. Yeah, yeah, when it's good, it's really good, and when it's bad, it's it just sits there. Most yeah, definitely. I think it's almost a bit like um, Nim Death Mantle, where you really want to be running things that you want to put under it and ways to get them into the graveyard. Like, sure, you'll sometimes get the upside of someone else's Solemn Simulacrum or Primeval Titan, or really any Titan for that matter, though Primeval is the most commonly played, I guess. But you can't really stick it in your deck just figuring that, oh, yeah, I'll probably get someone else's card. Uh, you really want to be ha- having at least uh, a few things to go under it and a few ways to get them into the graveyard. Otherwise, I think it's just a bit too inconsistent. But if you can get it going, it is a great um, card advantage engine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. But, I, I mean, I think this comes back to, like, sound deck building principles. You want to build your deck so that it functions in a vacuum but can be better if people are doing other things that uh, make your deck better. But you want to make sure it can function on its own and you don't rely on other people to turn on your good cards. Yeah. Yeah, I just wanted to hit on that since I do see a lot of people um, just sort of like that and Nim Death Mantle just sort of throwing them into decks, figuring that they'll probably come up with a use for them and not really thinking about what exactly they're doing, how they're getting use out of them, and they end up being a lot less powerful than they think they're going to be or than, or that they can be. Indeed. So there are there other artifacts you want to bring up, or do we want to move the lands? Well, mine's I have been not been using recently. Just sure. uh, I don't know yeah. why. I haven't been using it as much recently as I used to. I used to auto-include it, but I just don't seem to have it in many of my decks these days. Um, anybody else feel the same? 
Yeah, I think I've I've asked people about the same. You can get the that situation where it sticks around for three goes around the table and you draw a dozen cards off of it. But I find that all too often it just gets blown up pretty quickly. Uh, I mean, it's five mana, so it's pretty pretty slow. You can't get it out there immediately, and a lot of um. By the time you're playing it, that's when you want to be playing things to advance your advance your board state. Yeah, I, I have to agree. Um, most of the time, like you don't want to play it on five because you want to make sure you get value out of it. You want to get at least one card, so it's usually going to cost at least six. Yeah. And by then, most colors could be doing something more efficient than that, and the colors that can't probably want the game to have been over by then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What do you think about? I like to use Journey's kite, Journey's uh, Journey kite, and um, most of my monocolored white and black. I think red decks, yeah, white, black, and red decks. Any thoughts on that? I hate that card so much. <laughs> I hate it so much. It's really um, expensive, but you just can grind. It's stuff. so expensive. Like I'd rather have just a card draw spell. Like I'd yeah, rather and- have Ambition's Cost or something because the thing is, like Ambition's Cost is plus two cards mm-hmm. in order to, and that's for four. With Journeyer's Kite, you would have to pay 11 to get that. I mean, granted, that's split up over four, four or so turns, but it's still just so inefficient. Yeah. And it seems fine for consistency in, like, a more casual group when you're going to win anyway, unless you just get totally screwed. But, you know, in a competitive environment where someone's going to win by turn seven or eight unless you do something about it anyway, it just seems so slow. Yeah, that's yeah. a good point. Good point. What about... What about- uh, Oh, sorry. What about Wayfarer's Bobble? It's sort of on the same lines. Yeah, I like in non-green decks usually. Yeah, having the land ramping is really nice. It's really great. I found in uh, mono black decks since being able to search for an extra swamp for your Cabal coffers can be just so good. Most definitely. Uh, Expedition Map is also another perennial favorite for me. Yeah. If you have any important non-basics, which just about every deck will. Yeah, every deck should have Maze of Ith. I mean, and that you can at least search for that. And then on top of that, you know, more mana-producing land, stuff like that. So, yeah. yeah, definitely. What about for monocolored decks? So, you know, the cards like Cage Sun, Gauntlet of Power, um, Extra Planar Lens, are, are we always running those, or is it is that more deck-dependent in itself? Monocolor, I'm used to, almost 99% of the time, I'm always running Cage Sun and uh, Gauntlet Power. I'm not always running Extra Painter Lens, because that, you run into the, you need to have a lot of lands in play, and you do lose a land if they blow it up instantly, so, but um, definitely, uh, but. The thing about Extra Planner Lens is that it's a lot more like a ritual than it is a mana ramp spell, because if you, especially in a powered metagame, um, if you run it out there on turn three or whatever, it's just going to be a time walk, and that's really it's really bad when it's like that. Neil's asking, "What do we think of the untap all artifacts?" <laughs> so I think if you have some um, artifact Leonin, you'll definitely want to untap your artifacts. <laughs> no, I uh, haven't seen the cards. All right, he's referring to unwinding clock. Yeah, it's a seat use for. Artifacts. I don't like it personally. It's I don't think now. I've seen a situation oh, wait, um, yeah, where sorry, I was... it could be really good. I mean, sure, if you have a Guild of Lotus and a Mana Crypt and a Soul Ring and a, oh, a Memnar can play, maybe maybe it'll do some work <laughs> for you. But uh, yeah, usually, I mean, it just seems like a magical Christmas land for it to be really that good. Like, I mean, uh, maybe maybe in Karn. Where everything is an artifact, but besides that, I just kind of don't see it. Yeah, I see them like Karn and Shroom, and that's about it. I don't think it's anywhere close to an auto include. And if you're using like artifact lands, I don't like to use artifact lands in any deck that likes to go mid game to long game, because you're just asking for your lands to get eaten by some random uh, destroy artifact spell, you know? I mean, if you're going to win yeah. the game fast, you can use artifact lands for Ox Opal, but uh, otherwise. I stick away from, I keep away from artifact lands that are not Dark Steel Citadel. Okay. So is there anything else in the artifact category we want to oh, take a look at? Neil's saying, are we talking about one versus one or many? I'm, 
Whenever I talk EDH, I'm, I refer to usually many. Uh, if it's one versus one, you might as well call it 100 card singleton. As far as I'm yeah, that, that's a, yeah, that's a different, different format different. as far as I'm concerned. Because there's, yeah. there's like a separate band list that's much better than the mm-hmm. official commander one. Uh, it, technically, it's not the same because you do have a commander, but it's really close to 100 card singleton, depending on your commander. But yeah, yeah, I just assumed we were talking one v many. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that we can just make that rule throughout the podcast is that this is 1v many, and then if there's an exception to that, we'll certainly talk about it. Yeah. Right. What about the artifact wraths, like Oblivion Stone, Disc, things like that? I do love Oblivion Stone. I do not like Disc. The Disc waiting a turn, unless you... Yeah, even if you untap it, you're usually blowing up your thing that untapped it. Disc waiting a turn is just too much for me. I don't ever run it. I'm actually not the biggest fan of them, uh, so long as I'm running colors that do have access to other wraths. Like, obviously, if I'm running black, I'm going to want it just because there's no other way to deal with um, artifacts aside from, like, Gate to Phyrexia, which is terrible. <laughs> um, but if I'm running, like, Naya colors or something, I'd rather just stick to the wraths within my colors. They're just generally cheaper. Um, sometimes being able to destroy... All equipment types is nice, but at the same time, also being able to pinpoint things can also be a plus. Sure. Um, I guess one thing to think about is the decks that have like Sun Titan or Academy Ruins or things like that, where you can just keep buying your Wrath back over and over again. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. And another corner case to think about when you're deciding which ones to run. But in general, I'm, I think you're right. Um, when you're in a color combination that can deal with those permanents with like a sorcery or something something like that, you're better off using that instead of something that sits on the table and people know that it's going to happen and they can play around it. Well, another thing for non-black decks is um, even if I'm white and I have the ability of planner cleansing, uh, having blue and having fabricate in my deck gives me that option to tutor up a wrath effect, and I really like Oblivion Stone for that reason. Neil had a good question in there. What do we think about scepters and vials in EDH? I've never personally run them, so... Ice Crown Scepter and... The Aether Vial? Yep. Yeah, I don't like Aether Vial at all, but um, maybe I'm not playing the most insane decks that start off insanely fast. I just don't think... I can't imagine it being... It doesn't get, sound good in the long game, for sure. I had yeah, I don't a think deck where Aether Vial was good, but that was a really, really specific case. So I don't, I don't think it's good in most decks. You'd have to be playing something that was really aggressive for it to be any good. Yeah, I was thinking, like, you'd have yeah. to have, like, tons of ones, twos, three drops to really make Aether Vial good, and most decks that are attempting to go to the medium, mid, mid to long game aren't going to be effective with um, Aether Vial. Yeah, what I think... What about Isochron Scepter? Does that ever stay on board long enough for you to even use it? I mean, I think regardless of whether it stays on board or not, it's very similar to Vial in that it's definitely a build-around me card. I don't think it goes in even... Either of them go in either, like, even 25% of decks, uh, probably more like 10 or something, you have to definitely um, be building around them, looking at your curve, making sure that you have plenty of 1s and 2s and maybe some 3s uh, for Vile, because it's not really going to get... Um, nobody's going to let it live to like 4 or 5. And for Scepter, you have to have the cheap spells. They can be powerful, but I just don't see them as auto-includes. Yeah, the thing with Scepter is, I mean, you're getting... One card advantage a turn, or plus one, or if you just play like Crucible Worlds, you don't have to have any setup, and you don't get blown out, but they blow it up instantly. There's a lot of cards that just do better in terms of I mean, card advantage. The other question is, what are you putting on it? Yeah, like uh, you can't put like a chant on it because that's not very good in this format. Um, you you can't really put um, spot removal on it. Isn't as good like. You can't put something like Ancestral Recall on it. Like It just seems hard to recoup the the card that you're putting into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a um, there, but even then, you'll have to wait till 4 mana if you want to use it and protect itself. I'd rather just surprise someone with the mana drain and, instead of letting them play around it. Yeah. Agreed, because yeah. then you're just going to get all their 1 and 2 casting cost stuff, and then, then, then the next guy is just going to crush you. Yeah. What about Swords? Um, huge fan of the blue-red one, as always. Uh, yep. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of the blue-green one. 
think that one is far and away the worst one in this. Yeah, especially because it's letting people so many other decks. Yeah, letting people mill their deck is more like letting them draw a bunch of cards. Yeah. Um, I think the blue red and the blue and the black green one are far and away the best in this format. Mm -hmm. The white black Um, one does fine work. The white black one is really good in the late game, but I I I don't think it's even close to the other two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Light and shadow. Um, The problem with light shadow is that you're sometimes you're just gaining three life and it's just terrible. Uh, I like War and Peace in some decks. Um, when the protection is relevant, it's really good. But when you don't really care about the protection, I don't usually see it being good enough unless, like, blue base control is huge and people have, like, 20 card hands with a reliquary tower. Agreed. Yeah. I, I think that's important to note, though, because when we're talking about swords, it's also, you know, if you're running cards like Jinkataxis and things like that, you're going to want to protect them, and you're not always going to have the lightning grid. So swords do really, real good work as far as that's concerned if you have the right colors. Yep. Yeah. And wood and black, I think, is definitely the best for protecting things, which is another thing to note about it. Um, another staple I was thinking about for um, any artifact, for, as an artifact for any deck that's going for mid to long game, um, duplicate. So stable for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, duplicates yeah. probably eighty nine percent of my decks. Uh, something to note about it that I, I'm, I'm sure you guys are all up to on this, but I see people get it wrong all the time. If you exile someone's general and they put it in the command zone, it's, it's still a C four because yeah. the general is not imprinted on it. Definitely, people that. get that wrong all the time, and it annoys me to no end. The thing that's nice about Moto is that it shows you how a lot of these things work. On the other hand, Moto has the ability for generals to beat legendary rule, which does not happen in real commander. There's a lot of things <laughs> on Moto that I haven't caught up yet, but there are a lot of things that it does show. Um, it's nice to know about. All right, Neil is asking about uh, Jite, Warhammer, and Whisper Silk Cloak. Uh, honestly, I'm not a fan of most of those in this format. Um, Me either. In in a format like that goes big as much as Commander does. Jite just doesn't do enough. Unless you're trying to get in there for general damage, in which case there are more efficient ways to do that. Uh, the same kind of thing goes for Warhammer. Unless the Trample is relevant, I don't see it being good enough. And if it is, there are more efficient ways to get Trample. And Whisper Silk Cloak just seems so slow relative to something like Lightning Greaves or relative to something like a sword. Definitely. I mean, out of those, yeah. most I, could, I might see Warhammer, but I, and I really don't like Jitty and... EDH at all. I, you, the best thing about Jitty was the ability to uh, interact with your opponent's creatures. It doesn't do much interacting in EDH. There are still some uh, yeah. small utility creatures that you can pick off, and it does come up, but I, it's not anywhere near as big as it is in normal constructed. But I, well, like more often than not, by killing their utility guys, you're just letting them play them again mm-hmm. and get more value mm-hmm. out of it. It slows them down, though. It's not completely irrelevant. Um, a lot of people do write it off, but it, it's not the best. What about the bigger creatures and artifacts, like Sundering Titan and War Coil Engine, that you see a lot? Are they as good as advertised? Sundering Titan's really good in monocolor to sometimes dual-color decks, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, the thing about Sundering Titan is you have to be willing to make it, like... An Armageddon for the player who's playing three or more colors. Like, if you're destroying one land for everyone, then it's not really worth playing, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, it needs to be, like, destroy target player. Or you need to be able to play it and bounce it and replay it a billion times and destroy everyone else's mana base. Definitely, definitely. What other big ones are you talking about? Uh, Worm Coil Engine. I'm not a big fan of Warcoil Engine. Oh, Warcoil Engine was one? I used to have it in every deck I built, but I just went away from it. It just didn't impact the board enough, you know? It's uh, also just not I that run it in like mono-red like, artifact-based decks. Um, continue, Carlos. <laughs> oh, I run it in artifact-based red decks. Mm-hmm. Uh where, like, you're playing a billion artifacts, you're getting them back all the time with, like, Trash for Treasure and Goblin Walder, but if you can't get multiple activations out of it, I don't see it being worth it. What yeah. did you have to say, Andrew? Is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah, I was going to say, it's not that good in terms of card advantage. Uh, normally with something that expensive, you want it to have, basically, to pass the Terminate test, which it sort of does. The three life thing 3-3 three, three is basically irrelevant. Mm-hmm. The Death Touch 3-3 three, three can be an okay... Um, 
propaganda effect, but there are definitely better things you could be running. Neil's asking about Blightsteel and Darksteel. Um, Darksteel is pretty much worthless yep. as far as I'm concerned. Blightsteel, on the other hand, uh, it's certainly a good finisher, especially if you can haste it up. Yeah, Blightsteel is yeah. just yeah. a big thing for me is if you can get a haste. That's just always good. Yeah. Um, let's see here. He's also talking about... Uh, do we have any other big uh, artifacts um, to go over real quick? Oh, He's talking about artifacts. Yeah, I mean, are we going to talk about Ulamog and... Yeah, well, Kozilek, yeah. Sure. I do love yeah. Ulamog and Kozilek in any deck that doesn't uh, rely on its graveyard. Um, that's that's a control deck. That's going long game, you know. If you can give him, especially if you can give him haste with the Greaves and the new Greaves, they get pretty insane. Um, and they're also yeah. just great ways to foil random milling strategies, you know, like uh, what is... I don't know, just random milling strategies that are not very good, but happen every once in a while. The one problem that I have found with them is that most control decks do really care about their graveyard. Um, sometimes mono blue doesn't, but just about anything that's running black will, um, and a lot of white and green will as well. Uh, they still get worse there. Uh, it They might still be playable anyways. It obviously depends on the deck, but I think that they can be like an absolute house in a sort of mono-blue control deck. Mm-hmm. Speaking of graveyards, um, can we move on to the Articat-based <laughs> graveyards? <as well? laughs> yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So my favorite of all is actually not even a really an artifact card. It's technically it's an artifact card, but as far as EDH is concerned, it's a black card. It's Nile Spellbomb. That is my absolute favorite graveyard hate card, even though it's a black card, really. Yeah, fact, um, <laughs> just removes all uh, cards from one person's graveyard, right? Yes, yeah, it just removes all from one person's graveyard and has a black um, trigger ability to pay for a draw card. Um, and Neil's talking yeah. about Relic, and I do like Relic, but I also hate that it ruins some of my own decks at the same time. I think Relic is perfectly fine if you've just got, like, an Eternal Witness or, like, you know, a couple of recursion engines. Yeah. Um, I think the whole it moves your own graveyard is a little bit overhyped. Uh, obviously, if you're running a full graveyard-based deck, it's terrible, but in most decks, I think it's absolutely fine for graveyard hate. Yeah, I've, I've run it in decks with, like, Praetor's Council and Eternal Witness as my only, like, graveyard interactions, but I mean, it's not the worst in there, but at the same time, you're just losing a little bit of edge, you know? Yeah, but at the same time, you're the one who's controlling it too, mm-hmm. and, yeah. and you're and you're going to be able to exile, you know, single cards, especially if you get it early on. You know, it's just one of those cards that just takes away your opponent's graveyards, and I just like the effect of taking away everybody's because everybody's playing Eternal Witness, everybody's playing cards that have some interaction with the graveyard, and it's nice to take them out all at once while you you know you kind of sit back. So you know, kind of I believe if you play it right, Relic can go in almost every deck, but yeah. almost. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Oh, he's talking about Tormod's Crypt here as well. I do not like that card just for the fact it doesn't cantrip. When there's so many artifact hate cards that do cantrip. What do you think about that? Well, it does cost zero for something like uh, Talaria West. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are, cor- there are corner cases, but for in, in general, I think anything that cantrips is probably better. I'd probably run Scrabbling Claws or Furnace uh, of Phyrexia. Phyrexian Furnace. Yeah. I'd probably run either yeah. of those over it. I agree with that. The only thing I don't like about the Furnace and Scrabbing Claws is how long it takes to get rid of a huge graveyard with them. I mean, they can spot target what they need to, but then if they put anything else in the graveyard, you really need some other option. Well, generally, I'm going to run those if I have ways to play them over and over, and it's card advantage because you're fizzling their Eternal Witness or whatever, and Mm -hmm. then you draw a card, and then you get to do it over and over again. Uh, If you can't do that, then usually something like Relic or Nihil Spellbomb is better. Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah. You got anything else, Matthew? Uh, uh, memory jar. Memory jar. It's definitely insane. It's essentially a, I don't know, what we call it. It's a ritual card draw. For yourself, yeah. It's like a ritual yeah, card draw spell, you know, like, you're getting these cards now. You better use them now because they're going away. But, uh, 
you definitely it's a lot seven cards so yeah, yeah. In any graveyard based deck I think it's an auto include in other decks you know if you have ramp and if you have enough to where you're getting 10 12 mana by turn seven or eight then I think it's also very good certainly not in every deck include yeah as Neil puts it uh, one card combo obviously the one thing with um, memory jar getting back to that is you know don't be stupid with it don't crack it when other players have like eight mana because they do get to draw the seven. At least if, they, if you think they have instant speed effects that it will matter on that turn. Yeah, and then you're going to run into desertion, and that's just going to be bad for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are definitely decks that want it more than other ones. Like, if you're playing Nath or something like that, then it's obviously just the nuts. But uh, it's really good when it's good, but when it's bad, it just kind of doesn't do anything. So I think the last one I want to bring up is just another mana ramp, but kind of one of the, the off ones. It's Coalition Relic, uh, just because it, it is vulnerable to Artifact Hate, but it can ramp you pretty hard pretty quickly. I do like... Um... Oh, wow. This is a problem with this call right now. Andrew, you there? Yeah, I... Andrew dropped off for a second. Okay. Um, I do like uh, Coalition Relic as well as um, its little brother, Darksteel Ingot. Um, I was also thinking about Guild of Lotus, so I like those. I like all three of them for decks that are planning on going to the um, mid-game to late-game. I do really like that Relic ramps you from 3 to 5 at least. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's that's a much bigger difference than from 3 to Uh, (laughs) 4. Neil's asking about Signets. Personally, I don't like Signets at all. Um, it just doesn't seem like they do enough when you get to use them to make it worth losing a mana source when the board gets Wrath inevitably. Well, and you don't need that many mana ramp effects and artifacts, and there's just so many better ones that Signets just seem to fall behind. Yeah, right, yeah. like if you're looking for color fixing, there are better things to do, and if you're looking for acceleration, there are better things to do. I mean, they're, they're fine budget options, but usually, like, all the ones we mentioned so far, Gilded Lotus, uh, Coalition Relic, Darksteel Ingot, they produce um, either more mana or they're resistant to destruction. Yeah, uh, I think he was asking about uh, card draw fixing, things like Crystal Ball or Scroll Rack. Uh, we already talked about Sensei's Divining Top, but what do you think about the other options? Uh, scroll rack's pretty insane. I don't actually have one yet, but uh, I really want to pick one up eventually. Um, I think of it as a more of a, I think of it as similar to. It's not actually similar to Sensei's Divine Top, but uh, it's about as powerful. I think maybe just a tad bit less, but uh, especially with shuffle effects, you can get a lot. Yeah, of, it's definitely yeah, similar it, in the fact that the more shuffle effects you have, the better it is. Yeah, I find that it gets even better than Top with more um, shuffle effects, but at the same time with. Out shuffle effects, it's a bit worse, but again, you can probably um, just between fetch lands and various fetch lands, uh, various shuffle effects in your deck, you should have enough to make it very good. Well, the thing is, it's really bad if you don't have cards in your hand to get rid of. Like, if you don't have enough cards to dig deep, mm-hmm. like either pass the cards that you already put mm-hmm. back or replace all the bad ones, like it can be pretty abysmal. Um, yeah, I guess when that, it's yeah. good. It's really good because it's like drawing seven. But mm-hmm. I guess that's a good point. It, it's just more situational than top. Top tends to be good all around, all game. Even if you're on zero cards, seven cards, you're digging for what you want at that point. Whereas with the scroll rack, if you don't have enough cards in your hand, you're just stuck with what you got right there. And both need shuffle effects, but uh, top's always valuable. With scroll rack, will range from insane to not good at all. Mm-hmm. Um, he's saying Orb from M11. I'm assuming he's talking about Crystal Ball, and I don't want that card at all. It's a fine budget option, but it's yeah. definitely worse than most of the scroll rack top options. Yeah, in yeah. a single color deck with no shuffle effects, it's you know it's doable just because the other ones are a bit weaker. But it's, I'd still rather have top or scroll rack. Yeah, I mean Crystal Ball takes four mana to well, get first activation off, right? So yeah. yeah. And even in a single color deck, you've still got at least uh, you still got four fetch lands. You can probably, um, if you're mono green, you're running uh, land ramp. If you're black, you're running tutors. 
there's probably other things for the other colors I'm not thinking of, but you can probably get together enough shuffle effects to make top just so much better than crystal ball. Like, I don't think um, shuffle effects should ever be a limiting factor for top. Mm-hmm. Sure. Oh, so we're going to talk about lands. Is that what you were asking about earlier? Or do we need to wrap this up? Uh, I think we should save lands till next time. We're running out about an hour here, um, and I know we want to keep this going. So let's, I would say either talk about something quick or let's just cut it off here. Um, does anybody have any closing statements? That's a resounding no. That's a resounding no. Thanks for listening. <laughs> yeah, thank we'll be able you for to cover listening. some of the spoilers from um, M12 coming out and this week, next week. So um, definitely look out for that. And yeah, uh, let's take a look at a little bit of those next week. Let's t- let's finish up Jay's deck next week and maybe talk yeah. about Lance. Oh, do you see the new Jace? I absolutely hate the new Jace. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> pretty bad. Yeah. It could be okay, depending on how graveyard-based Innistrad is. Mm-hmm. Like, depending yeah. on how many cards the mill 10 is, like, drawing. Uh, if the answer is less than three or four, I see it being pretty abysmal. But I, I can see a metagame where it's if they, good. If they bring Narcobiva back, wow, watch out. <laughs> yeah. The problem is for competitive environments, five casting cost Planeswalkers is just the, the edge of where it just becomes bad unless it just does something insane. And he doesn't protect himself at all. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, but, I mean... He does have kind of loyalty, though. But yeah, there's a card, five minutes. Whenever you mill yourself, you put a plant token in play. He'll be good then. <laughs> <laughs> but, like... He's right, you the four cards a turn. I mean, a five minute story street uh, that draws four cards isn't that good. And when it has, randomly has ups out of next turn, you can draw another four. It could be okay, but that's a lot of ifs. Okay, well, right, but it's like mill yourself and then gain some life. That seems it, it could be good. It's definitely not with what we know now, mm-hmm. but I can definitely see them printing things that make it good. Like if they reprinted things like Deep Analysis and Crippling Fatigue and Chainer's Edict. Sure. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Okay, well, this is Jake. Um, Andrew, you going to sign off? Yeah. Everybody can sign off. I don't know how to do this. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. Jake, Andrew, I guess Carlos, just, uh, and Matt. Uh, and Carlos. Until next time. Yeah, so this uh, is Andrew. Uh, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> We're the best. See you. We're going to be 18. <laughs> we'll edit that part out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll find out if it's working. I love, I love it when people edit it out, but they don't actually edit it out. <laughs> we'll see you next week. <laughs>